now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, the podcast for forensic science professionals. I am John Morgan, your host with Forensic Technology Center of Excellence. We are going to uh, be talking today about women in science and leadership issues. Our guest is Nadia Schreiber-Campo with the Florida International University. She is an associate professor there and co-director of the Legal Psychology Program. She earned her PhD at the University of Munster, Germany, and a postdoc at the German Academic Exchange Service, and she continues her research from there at FRU, involving investigative interviewing and witness memory, especially of vulnerable witnesses such as children or the intoxicated, focusing on potentially detrimental and beneficial interviewing techniques and their underlying cognitive and social mechanisms to improve the quality and quantity of witness and victim recall. Welcome, Nadia. Thank you. I know that you have some other interests with respect to development of the next generation of scientists. You're in two areas where a lot of the practitioner community, uh, both on forensic science and in psychology. It's uh, oftentimes very heavily female. I'm told that 80% of the AFS is women. Really? Uh, that's what I've heard from folks. And so it's very, very important for the research community, of course, to uh, be able to uh, encourage the uh, uh, women in, in science. I've, in a lot of the sciences that I came out of, in material science and physics and engineering, um, there's not a lot of women in those STEM fields, so it's important to try to encourage that, and that's been a, an interest of yours as well, is that right? I've had a lot of these conversations with female colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them study the effects of like gender in academia, gender bias, and certainly I've graduated six, seven PhD students, most of them female, mm-hmm. um, and so I've had many conversations with them about career trajectories, being a woman in academia. Let me start with what I tell my students and what we talk about when we talk about how to promote our own doctoral students, right? I've encountered a couple of times that some of my most talented PhD students who are amazing writers and thinkers and have done great original work, when it comes to finding their own career path, they will sit in my office and they will say, I don't want that frenzy. I want a more balanced, Mm-hmm. job, right? And so instead of being offended, right, like, what do you mean? You know, I've kind of really given this a lot of thought and I've had many discussions with them about this. And so I've come to the realization that maybe one way to increase the number of women in science is as a role model, as a mm-hmm. female scientist in academia, is to showcase a life that they would like to imitate, mm-hmm. right? And my research accomplishment, that's only mm-hmm. 50% of what they look at. They're very interested in what I do on the weekends, what mm-hmm. I think about having kids and being a scientist, what my vacations look like. Mm-hmm. So they're very observant. So to showcase a life where all of that is on the sidelines, right, where I try to, they will say, well, I don't want to chase grants. And so to find a way to show academic rigor and produce great research and, you know, apply for grants in a way that incentivizes graduate students 
to do the same, I think is the key. I haven't found the key, <laughs> apparently. Sure. So, but I, I just, I feel like I've allowed myself to kind of put it in that context, right? So they see that, and we know from there's research suggesting this, that there is an unfortunate overlap of childbearing years and top productivity, right? Pre-tenure mm-hmm. productivity. And we have to also systematically implement changes in our systems that will allow female researchers to not have to choose between the two, right? And to Mm -hmm. give additional leeway and and support and time because we know that female researchers, especially pre-tenure, pay a disproportionately higher price for having kids compared to their male counterparts who also have kids, right? Mm -hmm. And that is not an opinion. There's some strong data that suggests that. So there's some systematic changes, I think, that need to happen to support female researchers holistically, so to speak, Mm -hmm. all of what they want, because, you know, you can't only get the top researchers without also allowing them to live the other parts of their life. But there's also some things that female researchers themselves can do along the way. So I thought there was an interesting study that has found that female professors are much less likely to cite their own work or assign their own readings in their syllabi Hmm. than male researchers. And so in my graduate class, and I've noticed this when I read this, I thought, well, that's really? And then I looked at my syllabus. I'm like, why am I avoiding all of my research? I'm teaching a class on investigative interviewing, right? I'm avoiding mm-hmm. all my research. And so I consciously counteracted that. Now, we know it doesn't fit the female stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. Just to be humble, to you know, put others first, to be a group person, you know, to be... Sure. No, I think yeah. what you're saying is very real. You know, we're very, very fortunate to have a number of top-notch female uh, scientists mm-hmm. at RTI, especially in the Center for Forensic Science. Mm-hmm. And it's often a struggle mm-hmm. to get them to say, hey, you know, you're one of the top scientists in the mm-hmm. field, or mm-hmm. you just published more papers than somebody who was 20 years your senior and has all these other things mm-hmm. going on, and, and toot your own horn, you know, be, yep. you show that confidence. And uh, I think that to some extent it does start at the student level. Yes. I think teaching the confidence confidence that they are mm-hmm. able right. to not only do the research, but also have the wisdom to be able to balance their life. It's great that they recognize the need, but they also need to recognize what do they have inside them. They must have a fair amount of strength if they got to the point where they are even Absolutely. considering it, right? And what can we do that they don't, <laughs> don't run out of that strength, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. otherwise you have a burnout situation after a couple of years, right? So it's really a long-term perspective, and maybe the answer is it may not be a one-size-fits-all answer, but it may also be dependent on what stage they're in in their career, right? Mm-hmm. So how do I get graduate students, how do I get doctoral students to choose a research career if I know that they are amazing researchers, right? As a system, how can we reduce the number of service requests to make for females? And how do we get females to feel more comfortable saying, no, I'm sorry, I'm maxed out on service. So, you know, I think it's, it's both changing the structure of academia and science to slowly erode the kind of the female role that we expect. And much of this is, is not, this is not a conscious and unconscious mm-hmm. bias that has generations of history in it. And I think also educate women and female scientists on how to promote themselves better, that there's nothing wrong with promoting yourself strongly and how to choose those things that will advance your career and say no to those sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) that don't and feel comfortable saying no. And so I actually have a question when you say that most of the women in AFS are female. My question would be how many in the leadership panels 
are female. Just so everyone knows, you can't see in the room, but there happens to be an observer in the room today, which is Jerry Ropera Miller, who's going to be the new president of AAFS. And that, although historically women have been underrepresented in the leadership of AAFS, that currently the board there are 12 people on the board, more than half are women. So you're you're getting there. It's not quite at 80 percent. Well, it oftentimes takes women in leadership positions, right, mm -hmm. to change the consistency of that board. So we'll see how Jerry does. Yeah. Her. <laughs> the pressure is on, Jerry. <laughs> Nadja, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Maybe we'll have you back to talk more about uh, women in science and leadership issues in, uh, in science in general. My pleasure. Thank you.